Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, Chapters 8 and 15. Chapter 8, Developing New Talent. We can stop at number 5 and your organization will last a good long time. Or we can go on to number 6 and your organization can last forever. Pete's demeanor said this was less an opinion and more of a fact. Ray knew he had to find out what practice number 6 was. He just didn't know if he would like it when he did. Warily, he asked, okay then, what's number six? Pete's tone became a little more serious. If you want your church to stand the test of time, then you have to be replaced. The words hit Ray like a hundred mile an hour fastball. So this was the point of the evening. This was why Jim and Joe and the entire elder board were so willing to take the evening off and miss the meeting and come to the ballpark. Ray could feel the emotion rising up inside of him. Why go through this charade when the bottom line was that he was out as pastor? Why the seven practices? Why the royal treatment? Why not just a quick meeting and then show him the door? Speaking of the door, Ray began to look for the quickest way out of the stadium. Ray? Ray, are you still with me? Pete asked. Not for much longer, apparently, Ray shot back. What are you talking about? I'm talking about being replaced. But honestly, I would think that Jim and the board would have the decency to do it themselves and not have a total stranger tell me. The funny thing was, Ray didn't really think of Pete as a total stranger. He had only known this man for a little more than two hours, and yet he thought of him as a friend. Wait a minute. Slow down a little. No one is replacing you. You just said I was being replaced. No, I didn't. I said that if you wanted your church to stand the test of time, you had to be replaced. From the look on Ray's face, Pete could tell he had yet to make his point. Ray, how old are you? 36, going on 77 right now. And how long do you plan on living? What difference does it make? I won't be around here anyway. Suddenly, Pete's point became clear. Ray spoke as his brain processed the thought, and if I don't eventually replace myself, the church could fall apart, which is why practice number six is called replace yourself. Practice number six, replace yourself. Ray was now looking to see if he could crawl up under his seat and hide until the, after the game. I'm sorry, Pete. I don't know what just happened. You thought I was here to fire you and that you were going home to tell your wife that you were a failure and had lost your job and your church. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And that's why number six is hard to do. In order to replace yourself, you have to see the good of the organization as more important than your own. You have to be able to resist that natural reaction to protect yourself and your position. But I'm really talking about a lot more than just knowing when it's time to leave. You see, for your organization to grow, you have to have great leadership. And great leadership needs to be developed through a system of apprenticing, replacements, and duplication. What kind of system, Ray asked. Well, for us, it's called a farm system. There are five other teams in our system that recruit and train players to fill the 25 slots we have at the major league level. Every year we have holes to fill, and successful teams are those that fill their holes with the best talent. I guess it's easier to fill holes when you're paying a guy a million dollars a year, Ray said. Maybe, but you still have to know what you're looking for. A lot of teams have paid a lot of money for players that aren't worth it. That's why we have scouts. These guys are trained to spot talent, acquire it, and replace it in the right position to be developed. Ray thought about this for a moment. I try to do the same thing, but it's hard to keep every area covered. That's why this practice can't apply just to you. 
In my business, every manager, every employee, for that matter, knows that they are responsible for replacing themselves. How do you maintain quality if people are always replacing themselves, Ray asked. First of all, I'm not talking about a revolving door. I'm talking about a process, a process of mentoring and teaching another to do what you do and to do it well. And while the other six practices will take care of quality, this practice ensures that you will maintain quality over the long haul. You avoid burnout and help to prevent people from becoming entrenched, from becoming insiders. Now you're getting it. Are you sure you want to stay in church work? I can always use a guy like you somewhere. Funny, I was thinking the same thing about you, Pete. Now that would be cause for a crisis on your board, Pete replied with a laugh. I don't know, Ray said as he looked up at the skybox. It looks like me that they could get used to it. Chapter 15. Replace Yourself. Learn to hand off what you do. I started collecting baseball cards as a kid in the late 1960s and early 70s. These fragile bits of cardboard bearing the images and statistics of players like Johnny Bench, Reggie Jackson, and Hank Aaron are still among my most prized possessions. These guys were legends in their own time. I will always remember April 8, 1974. I was 14 years old and I can still see the image of one man swinging a bat. It was a magical night when hammerin' Hank Aaron walloped home run number 715 and trotted around the bases, past Babe Ruth's long-time record and into history. I thought about that night again in 1998 when, with one swing, Mark McGuire shattered Roger Maris's 31-year-old record for the most home runs in a season. Watching McGuire around the bases, I thought, no matter who you are, how famous or powerful, one day somebody will replace you. Shortly after President George H.W. Bush left office, our staff attended a conference where Bush was a keynote speaker. He described in detail his final flight on Air Force One after the inauguration of Bill Clinton. That day, Bush woke up in the White House and went to bed in a rented house in Houston. He said that the next morning he woke up early and started reaching around in the dark, trying to find the button that for years had signaled the staff that he wanted a cup of coffee. He accidentally woke up Barbara, who figured out what he was trying to do. She said, George, you're just going to have to get up and go get it yourself. It's over. It's sobering, but unavoidable. One day it will be over. One day someone else will be doing what you're doing. No, one day you will be replaced. Whether you have an exit strategy or not, you will ultimately exit. And on that day, everything you've done, everything you've dreamed, and everything you've built will be replaced by someone else's hands. Like everyone else, you're probably planning on making your mark and leaving a legacy. But if you're anything like me, you tend to make plans with tomorrow in mind, not the next decade. And although deep down you know one day you will no longer be in the picture, Nothing in the way you work or live testifies that you've really embraced the idea. The fact is, you have only one of two choices. You can desperately hold on to your job until someone inevitably replaces you, or you can prepare someone to do what you do and strategically replace yourself. The first option gives you limited input in what happens in the future of your organization. The second allows you to leverage your influence with the next generation who will one day lead your organization. When you attempt to hold on, you encourage your organization to be built around a personality. When you strategically replace yourself, you allow your organization to be driven by a vision. 
learning to effectively hand off leadership to the next generation is vital to the longevity of any organization, especially the church. Student impact, a sidebar from North Point's playbook. If apprenticing volunteers is the best way to disciple and develop adults, why shouldn't the same approach work with teenagers? So we develop student impact to put teenagers on the front lines of our ministry environments. Some churches object. When we honestly listen to our students, we learn that most of them don't want to be stuck in a room on Sunday morning. Instead, we have them serving on the mission field. When student impact teams became involved in our Wamba Land, Upstreet, Kid Stuff, and Extreme Ministries, the benefits were immediate. Suddenly, our kids were experiencing servant leadership. The middle school students were being mentored by an age group they respected, and our elementary school kids saw what serving others was a way to be cool, and the high school kids had a reason to be there on Sunday mornings. True discipleship is about serving and being involved. Our students are not just hearing about distant ideas. They are part of a revolution. Our high school program is now scheduled for Sunday afternoons so teens can serve in the morning programs. Every week, students at North Point go to work changing diapers, aiding teachers, leading worship music, and serving families. They change lives, and in doing so, they are changed. Tear down leadership walls. Several years ago, John Maxwell introduced our staff to the concept of leadership lids. A lid is anything that keeps a leader from growing. Maxwell explained that there are certain aspects of your personality that can prevent you from achieving your potential Therefore, it is important for leaders to identify their lids and do whatever they can to lift them. An organization will have a difficult time raising higher than the lid of its leader. We've discovered that organizations also have leadership walls that prevent others from achieving their potential. Whereas a leadership lid can stunt your personal growth as a leader and may indirectly affect the rest of your organization, a leadership wall can directly stunt the growth of those on your team and ultimately create a leadership gap in your organization. Lids may stop leaders from growing up, but walls keep leaders out. They form a barrier that blocks the development of future leaders in your organization. If you fail to develop a strategy to replace yourself, you will force talented individuals to remain in the wings. You will cause potential leaders to exit the organization. You will stifle needed insight from valuable team members. You will hinder your ability to recruit volunteers. And you will limit the growth of your programs and ministries. Every leader needs to take an honest, objective look at anything that may create a barrier to the growth of the church's staff and volunteers. Consider this. The same characteristics that make a leader effective may also inadversely er, affect his or her ability to reproduce other leaders. Here are a few examples of how different leaders' attributes can actually build leadership walls that hinder the development of future leaders. The entrepreneurial leader specializes in taking risk and pioneering new territory, yet may see others' fresh ideas as threatening or in com- competition with his own. The nurturing leader is patient and encouraging, but may lack the zeal to confront someone in areas that really need to change. The charismatic leader can inspire the masses to follow a dream yet may become jealous and defensive when time comes for people to follow a new leader. The innovative leader uses creativity to produce something relevant and original, but tends to get possessive when another artist tries to improve on what has been created. 
The managing leader is excellent at coordinating staff and developing systems, yet may stubbornly resist those who question the process or want to experiment with doing things in a different way. The high-performance leader can juggle an incredible workload and still be extremely productive, but his failure to delegate does not allow anyone else to really own a piece of the vision. Replacing yourself begins with a shift in your thinking as a leader. It demands that you face some personal tendencies that could be unhealthy for your organization. The signs are more obvious than you might think. The pastor insists on being the only speaker. Administrators are easily frustrated by suggestions. Progress is slow because only a few people are allowed to make decisions. The same singers or musicians are featured every week. Staff members routinely stay late because they think they're the only ones who can do do the job. Raises and bonuses reflect only personal productivity. As a leader, you have probably been taught to focus on what makes you a strong leader. We agree. We are passionate about the idea of playing in your zone, but not to the point of being a ball hog at the expense of your team. You also need to focus on what makes other leaders strong. This may require you to concentrate at times on the areas that make it difficult for you to replace yourself as a leader. Instead of asking the question, what keeps me from growing as a leader, you should spend more time asking what keeps those around me from growing as leaders. Applaud those who applaud others. Replacing yourself means you are willing to hand someone else a significant piece of what you do. You are then responsible to help this person own it and succeed at it. When he or she succeeds, make sure they are applauded and recognized for what they have done. And be ready to applaud those leaders who applaud someone else who has effectively done their job. When you applaud leaders who push others into the spotlight, you send a message to everyone about what is really important in your organization. Most leaders are complimented and compensated according to their ability to innovate, create, produce, manage, and perform. The reasons they don't practice replacing themselves is because it is rarely applauded. No wonder leaders are so focused on their own personal development instead of developing others. Whenever a leader tries to build job security by making himself indispensable to the organization, he in fact does the organization a disservice. Job security is too often based on someone's insecurity. The practice of replacing yourself is critical to the longevity of any organization. But if you want the practice to become a habit in your church, you must recognize and reward it when it happens. Then every leader at every level needs to start celebrating it when they see leaders making other leaders successful. Position your volunteers to recruit. We have explained why replacing yourself is important in the context of leaders who will one day exit your organization. But it is also critical to see how this principle applies to expanding your base of volunteers. We consider our volunteer force to be our most critical resource. They hold the keys to the fulfillment of our vision for leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. Some churches buy into the myth that it is the responsibility of a few staff to do most of the recruiting. When you embrace that mindset, you immediately limit the number of volunteers you can scout and train. But if you can successfully inspire your existing volunteers to replace themselves, volunteerism has the opportunity to grow exponentially. The grassroots goal is to make sure that every volunteer makes it their mission to recruit another volunteer. Impossible? Maybe. But what if only half of your volunteers successfully found another person to do what they do? What if only one out of every four took up the challenge to replace themselves and they found someone new every several months? What kind of difference would that make in the growth of your volunteer base? 
One distinction that separates the church from most other businesses is that it requires a significant number of volunteers to make it work. A small group model, for example, requires a leader for every 10 to 12 individuals. The average company could never afford to hire someone to be exclusively devoted to only 12 customers. Within our family ministry alone, it takes more than 1,300 volunteers to make our weekly environments happen. At an average of two to three hours per volunteer, they collectively spend 3,000 hours a week. If we were paying these people just $10 an hour, the price tag would be $30,000 each week. Now, consider that many of these people are highly skilled and their values soars. Walk through our halls on a Sunday morning and you may meet a doctor who is video directing, a software developer running our computer graphics, a bank executive leading a small group of second graders, and a high school principal working with middle school students. Even if we could figure out how to pay for the number of hours these individuals collectively invest, we could never afford their level of expertise. When we started North Point, we had only a few staff coordinating a number of ministries. We were trying to find volunteers, and because everyone was new, we had limited relationships with those who were attending. We could walk into meetings with a handful of volunteers and start handing out index cards. We would ask everyone to write down a name of two or three friends who could do what they do. Then we would challenge them to recruit at least one. At the next meeting, everyone would give a report. We were surprised at how many actually came back with new volunteers. A simple announcement or church bulletin insert is rarely successful in finding volunteers. Why? Because leaders don't volunteer. They are recruited. They respond to a personal invitation, not a general announcement. One of the reasons we keep getting great volunteers is that we have volunteers who replace themselves. Teach what you know. The most effective way to train people is to model what needs to be done by apprenticing. But this can be a frightening idea for the average leader. Certain myths exist that cloud what apprenticing really means. For example, one notion is that you must be more skilled than the person you are apprenticing. However, you are not responsible for knowing everything there is to know about an area of ministry, but you are responsible for handing off what you do know. You don't have to be an incredibly talented player to coach someone else on how to become better at playing the game. A few years ago, Fast Company magazine profiled Doug Blevins, a man who had aspired all his life to be an NFL football coach. So he started blitzing New York Jets manager Dick Steinberg with faxes detailing the flaws of Kerry Blanchard, the Jets' place kicker at the time. Steinberg was evidently impressed with Blevins' knowledge of the game and hired him as a kicking consultant in 1994. The amazing thing is that Blevins himself had never attempted a field goal. He's never punted for any team on any level, let alone in the NFL. Because he was born with a cere- with cerebral palsy, he has, in fact, never even walked. The point is that you should not let what you don't know keep you from apprenticing someone. Your responsibility is to teach what you do know. And if you develop a heart to coach, you can help people grow and improve their skills. Replacement on a large scale a sidebar from North Point's playbook. After five years of growth had maxed out our present facility, we had to do something, and it soon became evident that God's plan for North Point involved a multi-campus strategy where we would establish similar models of ministry in strategic locations. Through the leadership of David McDaniel, our director of campus expansion, these campuses would provide relief from overcrowding and offer to teach 
new location or offer to each new location a relevant church model. From the beginning, our leadership team has promoted a franchise mindset that insists we intentionally replace ourselves. So we had already established systems of ministry as well as qualified personnel to staff these new campuses. This approach allowed key staff members from our Alpharetta campus to move to the new campuses because there were structures and people in place to replace them. As God blesses your ministry, you may have to duplicate yourself as often as you replace yourself. Three steps to handing it off. Reproducing more leaders to do the same things is the only way we can consistently meet the growing demands of more small groups, more productions, and more campuses and it has been key to developing specialized talent. The following are three steps to making a successful handoff. Number one, breaking it down. Teaching someone to replace you begins by having a clear understanding of exactly what it is you are trying to hand off. Fast Company made this observation about Doug Blevins. Trainers in every business can learn from Blevins's teaching techniques. He breaks each motion down to its component parts, then squeezes out incremental but critical improvements. And he knows just how much he can change in a player and when he should leave well enough alone. If you're going to apprentice someone to do what you do, then you need to know what it is you do. Because if you can't explain or define what you do, then it will be hard to get someone else to do it. Each function must be broken down into clear and doable steps and possibly even scripted. Chances are, if it is not written down, then it has probably not been effectively broken down. There is something about going through the process of putting a task on paper and breaking it down into steps that makes it easier to transfer to someone else. On the other hand, what you do may be so intuitive that it's difficult to articulate or teach. For example, Andy is a gifted communicator, and there's just something about the way he prepares, studies, creates, outlines, and speaks that is hard for him to explain. So how does Andy transfer to someone else what he knows how to do intuitively? How can he use his knowledge to train other communicators to become more effective? To help, we actually have spent time studying what Andy does and scripting his moves. Lane is actively watching his teaching and recording his processes. Why? So he can break it down in a way that someone else can repeat. Number two, hand it off. When replacing yourself, you are giving something away that you have owned. You are equipping someone to do something that you have done pushing them into a role that you have played. Assuming you have, are human, you will likely experience a jumble of emotions during the handoff. And if the ball is dropped, you will tend to want to pick it up back quickly. But remember, you are training someone else to carry the ball. Don't try to be the hero who recovers the fumble and carries it across the goal line himself. You are there to coach and model. Everyone learns best from mistakes, so allow others to learn from theirs. Your job is to help push someone else across the goal line for the score. People who embrace the replace yourself principle see others around them as partners, not competition. In our family ministry division, every volunteer undergoes an initial screening process through general orientation before being assigned to a leader who will then connect with them and model the specific skill they are learning. First, this allows us to observe and assess each volunteer in an apprentice role. Second, it gives people the confidence to serve effectively. Again, most people want to win. And apprenticing gives them an opportunity to learn how to win before they are called upon to play in the game on their own. Meanwhile, as apprentices learn and develop new skills, 
Each you will be sharpening your ability to apprentice others. You may practice apprenticing for years before you have to apprentice someone to actually take your place. But that day will come, and what you do now can prepare you for what you will have to do later. Now it is important for individuals in your church to learn the skill of handing off. The day will come when it will be crucial for those individuals to let go. Number three, let go. This will be hard, but necessary. Sooner or later, you will have to let go. So start practicing now. God gives us various opportunities throughout our life to learn this lesson. We leave home as college students. We watch our kids become independent. We lose someone whom we love. Life keeps moving, and there are times when we have to just let go. It is usually difficult. It always requires trust. But our understanding of the bigger picture gives us the wisdom to let go and transition to whatever's next. An unexpected merger happened a few years ago when Larry Burkett, founder of Christian Financial Concepts, determined that it was time for him to let go of his leadership and merge his nonprofit organization with another entity. This would mean that Burkett would allow others to leverage what he had spent 25 years building. The partner he chose was one that some might be have considered to be his competition, Crown Ministries. But what Burkett modeled as he worked throughout the transition is an incredible lesson for Christian leaders. On one occasion, he was quoted saying, My greatest fear in life is standing before the Lord and hearing him say, I had so much more for you, but you held on too tightly. Larry Burkett recognized something that is just too easy for many of us to miss. It's easier to let go of what doesn't belong to you anyway. When you are focused on the scope of God's kingdom, you realize there is something more important than your personal dream or agenda. Burkett recognized that there was greater potential to reach others if he combined his own efforts with Crown Ministries than if he remained independent. That decision stands as a clear illustration of the power of letting go in the right way. Those closest to Burkett claimed that the decision to merge was really just one in a series of decisions that reflected a life characterized by kingdom-mindedness. Consider some of the following examples. Burkett gave away the $2 million he had earned from selling his personal business prior to starting his ministry. When asked why he didn't save some of it for his nonprofit endeavor, Burkett said that he wanted to depend on God to meet his needs. At one time, there had been an opportunity to sue another Christian over a matter of plagiarism for a significant amount of money. Burkett refused, saying that they were God's ideas anyways, and maybe the materials would reach more people. In 1982, he helped to start the National Christian Foundation, which later had an opportunity to merge with a handful of other foundations. Others pointed out the possibility that they could cover the country and control everything. He rejected the idea of building to gain control, but he liked the idea of covering the country. So instead, Burkett influenced the board of NCF to focus on helping various communities start smaller foundations to serve specific regions. When someone suggested that Crown Ministry was his biggest competitor, Larry became indignant. There is no competition in the Christian world, he said. He then proceeded to invite Crown Ministries' Howard Dayton to be interviewed on his radio broadcast to promote the competing ministry. Larry Burkett had a habit of giving away what he had. He believed that God's agenda was more important than his own. Those who knew him say he held everything with an open hand. 
so it's no surprise that when it came time, it was easy for him to let go. He had years of practice. Improving your game discussion questions. Identify the leaders in your organization. What is your plan for replacing these leaders? Who are you personally investing in to do your job after you're gone? Which reproducible systems are now in place in your organization that will make it easy to transfer responsibilities to others? Which of the leadership types listed on page 161 do you most identify with? Do you also identify with the potential weaknesses listed for this type of leader? Which of the unhealthy personal tendencies listed on page 161 can your team identify with?